Welcome to the Uncommon History Podcast, your go-to source for fascinating stories from the past. On our podcast, we explore more obscure and often overlooked corners of history. From lesser-known tales to weird facts about history, our mission is to share the stories that will leave you surprised and entertained. Join us as we discover a world of history you didn't know existed. Welcome to Uncommon History, the podcast that explores the fascinating and lesser-known stories of our history. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, we are kind of middle way through season four, and uh, what's the topic tonight? Well, we have an exciting topic tonight. Uh, we are going to have a couple of people that have uh, made a new discovery, and uh, they've been working on this for two or three months, and it is a really interesting document that has surfaced and it will help us interpret what has happened at the Perryville, Kentucky battlefield in October 8th, 1862. Oh, okay. Because I was about to ask, we're not going to find out that Jimmy Hoffa was buried there. Right? No, not, okay. not okay. yet. Not yet. We're <laughs> right. working on that. But okay. the thing about, I want to kind of set this up so our listeners will kind of understand, you know, sometimes when you're talking to people like myself that have studied this and we've studied all the time, we talk it all the time, we forget, you know, what sometimes we miss. Uh, we can't see the woods for the trees, you might say. Yep. So we, explaining that is uh, after the Battle of Perryville in October 8, 1862, there was like 7,000 casualties, wounded, killed, and so forth. And we know very, very little about who these people were. Now, the Confederates retreated from the battlefield first. Although they won a tactical victory, they retreated first and into the night. And they couldn't hold the land because of the Union reinforcements. Well, yes, they, they knew there was other Union reinforcements out there. And by the way, and we'll get into more of this later, but um, there was a, a battle for basically Kentucky is what it was really about. It was about who controlled the state of Kentucky. And we can go into a lot of other things, but anyway... That's basically what it was. So the Confederates were knew that there were Union reinforcements. They were going to be uh, outnumbered, and they were concerned about that. Although they won a tactical victory, they did leave the battlefield, and they left in the night in the early morning of the next day. And so their wounded and dying were left, basically. So then the Union comes in and occupies the, the ground, and they do the best thing, best they can to take care of their own men and some of the Confederate soldiers that were there. So what with this situation, we know very little. If you go to the park and look for names, you know, we have one monument that has names on it and a mass barrel there of Confederate soldiers. The Union soldiers were first buried there, and then they were uh, disinterred and moved to the Camp Nelson Cemetery. So we have some record of names. But an exciting new discovery from a doctor uh, that... Uh, will help us interpret better what's happened. And I want to introduce to us, to you all, uh, Miss Joni House. And Joni is the Historic Preservation Director for the City of Danville currently. She's also the Historic Preservation Director for the Friends of Perryville Battlefield. And she's the former park manager at the Perryville Battlefield State Park. And uh, Chad Green, who is a the president of the Friends Group for the uh, Perryville Battlefield. Welcome, guys. How are you all tonight? Welcome. 
Hey, doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Joni, tell us, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about here. Well, um, there is a hospital ledger that is uh, attributed doc by to a Dr. Robert Wilson Thrift, who's with the 49th Ohio Infantry. And when he arrived in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, shortly after the Battle of Perryville, he began a roster of names for um, all of the Confederate wounded and then the Union uh, Union wounded as well in a hospital in Perryville, or I'm sorry, in Harrodsburg. And these are all the wounded from Perryville and also all of the the little ancillary engagements that went on around the big battle. You know, people think there's one big battle, but there's a lot of skirmishes and, and things that happen before big armies engage, uh, right, especially yeah. when they're on the march through a countryside. So one, one all, thing all I want to slip in here, Joan, excuse me a second. People sure. that don't know where Harrodsburg is, Harrodsburg's what, about six or eight miles north of Perryville? Correct. Okay. That's correct. So it um, was that, the, it was the on the retreat route of General Bragg, and also the Union Army was following him in that direction. Is that right? That's correct. And you also had another um, Union brigade that had been separated from the main army, and they were sent into Shelbyville, Kentucky, which was right outside of Frankfort, Kentucky, the state capital, uh, and they had been. Uh, sent on this mission basically to kind of confuse the Confederates about their approach. Uh, so you also have that brigade who is banging up against Kirby Smith's Confederate Army, which is also operating in the area. And they fight all down the Lawrenceburg Road and in a place called Dog Walk over in Anderson County. And so all of these wounded are kind of converging uh, into Harrodsburg. So the mass amount is obviously from the big battle, but you also have uh, probably several hundred men that, that come with the armies um, from Frankfurt into Harrodsburg. So you kind of have them coming from both sides, as it were, uh, okay. and all piled up in Harrodsburg. So this doctor, he starts to record the and he in in the the documents that you all, that we got to see was that he actually eventually put this in alphabetical order. It was written in one hand. And what's what's the most significant thing that you think, or there's there's probably several things we could point out, but what what's most significant about this? Well, to me, the most significant fact is just that it it exists. I mean, that's an incredibly rare document to have for any battle, but for Perryville, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, we're aware of where the hospitals were, but to have an actual roster from a hospital. And that it that it still exists and popped up out of nowhere. That's the most significant thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the information there is so much information in that it lists not only the name of the soldier but the rank, the company he was in, the regiment he was in, the state he was from. So we get this vast display of all of these men that have literally come from every state in the union, uh, and they end up at Perryville. So that is an incredible record, and we just really begin to get into the information that's in, contained into it. There's going to be, Harold, there'll be research on this thing for years yeah. <laughs> for people. That, well, and what's, what's interesting about this is there's several pages that are missing from this document. So they're out there floating around, either, hopefully, hopefully, 
either that or they've been destroyed, which we hope not. But it leans to a lot of genealogy research too. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. Yep. Well, Chad, so. tell me, tell me this. Okay, how do we? How'd you find it? <laughs> uh, that's a very interesting story. So we were sitting around. And all of a sudden, I hear on a cold winter's uh, night. Cold winter's <laughs> night, yeah. So all of a sudden, I hear like if if you can imagine this, that all the air is being sucked out by the room by excitement from one person. <gasps> so then I was like, "What's going on?" First thing, something's wrong. Something's going on. So she starts to explain to me about this book. So the frantic thing going around calling and asking, do you think it's real to do this or do that? And, oh, I don't know. Let's talk to Jerry and let's talk to this person and that person. And phone call after phone call. It's like, well, we got a bid on it. Where are we going to get the money? And it, you know, So it turned and, up on eBay. Just, yes, eBay. It turned yeah, up on of all eBay. Places, okay. Of all places on well, eBay, you know, somebody things, was looking out for Perryville that night, honestly. Yes. So you all found it on eBay. So you started. You saw the the price probably what it was, and you knew probably that was going to go up dramatically. So you you set forth a plan to raise the money so you could actually give it away. Well, yeah, that- yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, that's you know, and there's there's a certain amount of funds that that are set aside in as a president uh, of money that you can use for for historical purchases. So. And of course, we always want to involve the public too, and people because that's the way you get people involved with your organization. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, call this person, call that person. She started calling, and and people were already starting to donate money. And it's like, well, what do we do if we get outbid? And I was like, well, here's a dollar figure from from us, which. And I cannot say thank you enough to people who give to the friends. So we have that late leisure of pulling from the bank money to get these things. Yeah. For, luckily, you know, when when you work for a state sponsored museum, there's always an acquisition process. And sometimes getting that money is very difficult. But when you got a great nonprofit, you know, the money's there to back it up right. uh, that that you can go to them and say, hey, this is really worthwhile. and that seriously, that was a no brainer for everybody that yeah. I talked to that night on the board. They were like, absolutely, we've got to get it. But it, you're right, Harold, it, it got quite expensive. And so we wanted to make sure that we had enough money and, and we had a lot of generous donors. And, you know, we also wanted to make sure that we weren't bidding against each other yeah. <laughs> on eBay. Right. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that collect Perryville, and sometimes it gets donated. So you had to investigate, oh, gosh, is so-and-so bidding against it? So there was about an hour and a half different yeah, phone calls that went around. And in this, we, we talked to the Harrodsburg Historical Society. Um, and, you know, they were quite willing to help do the conservation work on the book. And, you know... As we talked to the board members that night, it became very clear that the artifact really needed to go to Harrodsburg, that the information ought to be available to everyone. But that artifact was is very important to Harrodsburg history. So, yeah, we raised the money and got the thing and gave it away. Uh, well, which what is, a, I mean, what, which is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, and what an admirable thing to do. I mean, that just that was just what well, was the right thing to do. And I think everybody applauds you for it. And, and, and so thankful that you all were vigilant and saw the process through. 
because now it's there forever. We have, you know, you have what digital copies of it now. And so yeah. you have, you have it spread out between the battlefield and the Harrisburg Historical Society. And do you have any other places where it's gone or, or is it? Oh yeah. It's a, it, it will eventually, if, if it's not already uh, at the Kentucky Historical Society and their archives. So, you know, we want to make sure that 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 is accessible to everybody yeah, because sure. the one thing I did see when I was the park director, you know, it's not just the study of the, the Civil War, but it is so much the study of genealogy. Mm-hmm. People are fascinated by the genealogy. And so you might have someone that's looking for great grandpa who was wounded at the Battle of Perryville and they don't know what happened to him. Well, some of these names have notations next to them. Uh, some of them are, are rather mysterious check marks, but there's others that that's very clearly marked D, and I suspect that individual died. Um, and that's why it's marked D. And P would have been paroled. Uh, you know, the, the armies were paroling or letting uh, each other surrender and, and go basically back home, which a lot of them didn't do, but that would be marked P in the column before the name. So, you know, and unfortunately, there were so many men that died around Perryville and Harrodsburg. Some of those graves are just not marked, especially around the Perryville area. You don't know what, you may have not, he just disappeared from history. Uh, And I don't know that that's the case, but it very well may be. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the thing, out of probably yeah. what I mean, seven thousand casualties, how many names do we really have until this book? You know, a few I will hundred say maybe. One, well, I will say honestly, uh, Kurt Holman, who was the former park director, and you know Kurt very very well. Mm-hmm. Kurt had done an amazing job over the years of collecting the names of the wounded, and he worked with Center College some years ago to put that on a database which is accessible at the park. So we we already had a considerable amount of names from the battle, which is extremely rare, and it's because of the lifetime of work of Kurt that that, that happened. Yeah. And so this can only add to it. Kurt is one of the very first people I sent the transcripts to for that for the book because he he owns the database that has all the names and he right. shares that very well too. So so you know we've probably added I want to say 800 plus names to that registry of, of wounded men. So I suspect we're getting up probably around the 5,000 mark of those identified that were wounded in the battle and, you know, it's killed incredible. and wounded. And that that's an incredible amount of work. And that really, I have to, I can't give enough kudos to Kurt Holman for, but, you know, he put lifetime of work into that. Yes. So, yes. Well, what a neat thing. Now, as you when you got the document when you when you when you got it and you got to sit down and really look at it is there anything that just smacked you in the face immediately other than obviously very well organized very well written uh did, is there any information just jumped out at you at first that you didn't that you that you wasn't aware of I wasn't really, you know, I was expecting a lot of the parable wounded to be in there, but what I did not expect to find was so many other wounded guys from different skirmishes all around Kentucky that had been going on for about a month, 
you know, before the actual battle at Perryville happened. Mm-hmm. Th- there was a lot of sporadic regiments in there. Uh, and there's some from the state of Georgia. And this is all very preliminary research. I mean, we could spend hours. I could go down a rabbit hole so deep on this thing. It's crazy. So I've gotten to look at a lot of just the preliminary information because I was busy transcribing all those names. But it struck me that some of these Georgia regiments that these guys are reporting, they weren't (laughs) supposed to be in Kentucky or weren't in Kentucky. So, you know, there's part of me that wants to say, oh, them George boys, they just lied because, you know, they're not going to tell you where they're from. So that that was kind of smacked me in the face a little bit. And I think the way it was written, Harold, you could tell when the doctor was really getting tired. You know, his his script became a little more illegible. And I want to say that script is like what your fifth grade teacher scrawled across the chalkboard when we were all in fifth grade. You know, it's mm-hmm. a high, a really high curly cued script. But you could tell when the list when when he was getting really tired and then would pick back up again um, at a better hand. So he obviously had gotten some rest. And that just strikes me because I, I think about, God, here comes this doctor literally rolling into town, probably because they were with SEALs guys, didn't really know what had happened out at Perryville. And all of a sudden, you're now in a, in a sea of dying men, you know, and how much of a, a trauma that must have been to him. And this guy, Dr. Thrift, um, he was at Shiloh with the 49th Ohio. So he had seen that. Uh, and he saw Perryville and he went through the Atlanta campaign. So just the knowledge of what that man witnessed in three years. Did, with, he, did he survive uh, the war? He did. You know, uh, they uh, they let him go home in the fall of 1864. And, you know, he was an older guy. Not to say that 39 is older, but if you're a campaigning Civil War soldier, that's tough on you. You know, and so he was 39 years old. 39 39 then and 39 now is two different ages, really. (laughs) I mean, he was probably closer to 50s than than he was 39 as far as being weathered. (laughs) Yeah, and can you imagine? I mean, you've, you've seen your regiment fight at Shiloh. You've marched all the way through Tennessee into Kentucky from Louisville to Perryville or from Louisville to Frankfurt. And then, you know, now you're living basically outside in the tent it's terrible weather all winter you know so 39 years old he had probably really had gotten beaten down by that campaign and i suspect by the fall of 1864 when that regiment is moving on to atlanta georgia uh that is an ungodly hard fight all down to north georgia so i suspect he he had had his fill of the war to give our listeners a little bit of an idea these Doctors, I don't know what's worse, being in battle or being a doctor, because uh, you remember yeah. the story of the Carl, I think his name was Lukenbacher, who was a, from Prussia that came with the 13th Louisiana into Perryville, and mm-hmm. he was there tending the soldiers after the battle at the Christian church, and I think at the, at the uh, Carrick house there. And uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Polk, who was a strong union man who usually didn't befriend Southerners, uh, be- befriended him. And the man, if you look at his gravestone, uh, he died in December, and he and basically worked himself to death in two months trying to take care of wounded men. And it oh, weakened, yeah. weakened to the point that he died. And Dr. 
Polk, who was a fr- had befriended him, like we said, he, he had him buried right beside him and as a, as a sign of respect and admiration for his sacrifice for, for the Oh, wounded. I suspect that's a bond that those men shared. And, you know, there's a, there's a very poignant story about a Union surgeon, Dr. McMeans, that was actually stationed at the Carrick's Parks house, and that's where a lot of the Union surgeons stayed. And he was with one of the Ohio regiments. I can't really recall which one now, but we did an exhibit. Uh, a gentleman loaned us his bed and uh, surgeon's case and all kinds of different things. And the letters that he wrote to his wife, and clearly the man was sick. I mean, he was literally working himself to death. And his wife writes back these poignant letters please come home. You're killing yourself. Please come home. And he writes her back. And how can I leave these men? They're dying all around me. How can I leave? And he literally worked himself. He died probably of heart failure there at the Carrick's Parks house uh, sometime around late November after the battle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just the ability to withstand that. And then that kind of horrific day-to-day grind, I can't imagine you know, the military hospitals now that we see are very organized. The battlefield hospitals, the Civil War, you see a lot of the pictures, probably Chimborazo there in Richmond. You, those are real famous ones where everyone's in a row of of cots and a white tent and the women are standing around with the aprons and they've got stoves. You've seen those pictures and the black and white ones that yeah, are in the library. <laughs> that is not. That didn't happen very often, did it? <laughs> and that sure, as, that sure as heck didn't happen at Perryville. It was awful here and and as you know as well as i do there was a horrific drought so there's no water at perryville to come you know and then i think what 10 days later it was snowing so you go from this horrific drought all of these wounded and dying men to it's it's now snowing yeah it was uh, it was went from hot to cold I mean, it, and, and of course that's, you know, that's not unusual for us. You know, we're kind of used to that. No, We we had freezing weather in December this year, uh, you know, way, way below zero. So it's not, it's not uncommon, but it sure is uncomfortable. I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, and, and, and of course they had no knowledge of germs. So, you know, that had, hadn't, that hadn't quote been invented yet. Uh, so right. they had a hard, they had a, a the, the medical people, believe me for, for our listeners, I'm sure they had as hard a life as, is the common soldier or more so after a battle, especially I'd say they, oh, they had yeah. to march and do all the rigors and then set up day and night and take care of wounded people. Well, if, if this, if this document that we've got 800 names, is that, if mm-hmm. I, Okay. So that's mm-hmm. 800 families, that's 800 genealogies, that's 800 war records, that's possibly 800 uh, pension records, uh, veterans, uh, reunions. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of things that can be tied to this that oh, people, yeah. people don't really realize when you find a cache like this, what the significance of it is. And I guarantee right. you there's names of people in there that probably have their family has been looking what happened to them and never been able to figure it out. Oh, absolutely. You know, and the really interesting thing, there's really some mystery still with the book. You know, the book is attributed to Dr. Thrift. There's an attribution in the beginning of the book that says this long, this book was made by Dr. 
uh, Wilson Thrift, 49th Ohio. But he never signs it anywhere in the book. So all we have is this attribution. You know, is there a diary out there somewhere where Dr. Thrift goes, I was at Perryville and kept this ledger at such and such hospital because we know the hospital was in Harrodsburg. We think it was at the Springs, which you're probably familiar with, but we don't really know exactly. The Springs being one. the uh, Springs Motel or hotel there. There was a, Yeah, that uh, hotel and uh, spa area that was very, right, very popular. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, we, that was probably the biggest hospital area in Harrodsburg, and we think that was probably it, but, you know, we just don't know. Well, the closest, um, the closest military hospital, if I'm remembering correctly, and, and straighten me out if I'm not, uh, was New Albany, Indiana? Yes, New, New Albany, Indiana had which a is a probably hospital. at least what seventy-five miles from Perryville. Oh, every bit of it. Maybe you 80. know, uh, yeah. there were men wounded for, in a ten-mile radius of the town of Perryville. There was probably not a standing structure that did not have a wounded man in it. Of you know, of some sort and fashion, for days after uh, the Battle of Perryville, as you know. Well, the town uh, was only about eight eight hundred, maybe a thousand people. So right, there, there really that, weren't that many structures there when you compare it to the oh, sixty thousand no. deluge of men that that came through there. So there was oh. there was way way short of it. Capacity oh yeah, of and they they were shipping out. You know the guys that and and they the Civil War medicine they did understand triage treatment. They did yeah. you know they were able to do that even on battlefield premises. At at some point they were doing triage. You know guys that clearly weren't going to make it. Uh, I hate to say it, but were stuck out under the tree to die. You know, and so as they get into establishing how they're treating people, they're shipping people to New Albany, Indiana. They're shipping people to Lebanon, Kentucky. And we, you know, you and I don't think of Lebanon as a big Civil War place, but it had a huge train depot there with a giant railroad that ran north and south. And so, you know, they were shipping people all over the place uh, to try to get treatment for them. But the extreme, extreme wounded, the very badly wounded people they would have been here in mm-hmm. Perryville and Harrodsburg and, and maybe in Springfield and Lebanon. They would have still been very close because they just weren't able to move them. And then, you know, as you start to look at how men died, you know, within about three days, men who were mortally wounded were, were dead, you know, mm-hmm. and then death kind of comes in waves. You know, you get 10 days out, you're, you're starting to see blood poisoning and sepsis. Then you get 20 days out, you're starting to see uh, pneumonia, uh, infection, and even horrifically, a month out, you're starting to see men starve to death because they've suffered wounds on their face or, or, or in their bowels or intestines, and they can't eat. So you have men like that that are here up until December. I think the last, the last hospital closed in Perryville somewhere around the end of December of 1862. And the the hospital ledger that we have says that the that that was the count of the men in the hospital uh, as of December sixteenth, eighteen sixty two. So you know that Dr. Thrift had been there since October the ninth, all the way through to December, trying to treat these men. Mm-hmm. You know, many of them with horrific lingering wounds. So I just I can't imagine. Joni, this is total speculation because I don't guess anybody can answer it, but you wonder how many Robert Wilson thrifts were out there. You know, how many of these doctors that we, that, 
we don't know of. I just wonder. I mean, I'm sure oh. he wasn't the uh, only one in Harrisburg. It was probably six or eight, maybe a dozen more. Who knows? You just oh, wonder. I suspect. Well, I suspect any regiment that went through there with a sergeant uh, got scooped up for a while. You know, because how are you going to deal with thousands of wounded men? So the Union Army probably had better surgeons than Confederate Army, you think? Is that safe to say? or is that? You know, I, I think, pro well, unfortunately, at the Battle of Perryville, this is fairly early in the war. And so really, neither side had figured out how to deal with prisoners of war or how to deal with medical situations or how to deal with wounded or really even how to set up a camp where you're not giving guys dysentery because you don't know where to put the toilets at in the camp. So you you get in. I mean, you get into these horrific, horrific problems. I think that, you know, the Union Army overall would have probably been better um, better staffed with surgeons. Surgeons and engineers seem to be lacking in the Confederate Army. I, I just think because there were less of them around. I don't know that their capabilities would have been any different. Um, but the one unfortunate thing about the Battle of Perryville is General Bragg left what medical train he had in Louisville. So all of the all of the medical supplies for the Union Army are in Louisville, Kentucky, and don't actually make it out onto the battlefield for several days later. You have the nuns coming from the Loretta Mother House over here bringing wagon loads of stuff, and the and the kids from the Kentucky School of Death bringing blankets and whatever they could. So any surgeon. Confederate or Union uh, is going to get scooped up to to deal with the wounded. Uh, Chad, let me ask you a question. Do you think that um, what do you? I guess statistically, what do you think is a soldier your chance of surviving if you're wounded? I know it, could, it obviously depends on the seriousness of the wound, but what we don't we don't realize is 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 lead poisoning. Blood poisoning, sure. disease, yeah, they died of measles. Uh, yeah. Things that we, you know, have long taken care of. What What's your chances? Do you Do you have any idea what your chances of surviving if you were wounded? Maybe fifty percent. Yeah, if if that, and I think that also depends on you know the army runs on paperwork and the army runs on personnel. You know. You can obviously see by that book, as Joni referred to earlier, about this guy getting tired. There's only so many hours in the day, and and you wear yourself out. And humanity, people are trying to take care of each other. It's a horrific thing. I mean, three days, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're shot in the stomach, you know, to do the military thing. With a 58 caliber bullet or a 69 caliber bullet, um, you know, and that's not to say that the amount of accidents that happen when you bring that many people to an area. Oh, what was the average age of these men fighting here in Kentucky? About 25. 25. Yeah, the youngest the youngest soldier here at Perryville uh, was 15 years old. Uh, there was uh, uh, one of the Medal of Honor winners here at Perryville was 16. Wow. The, old, the oldest soldier that fought at Perryville was about 70, but the median age was somewhere between 24 and 25 years old. And, and, and just and picture this. You know, you talk, go back to the, the fighting, and I'm going to let Joni talk through this because 
third, an average soldier, soldier could get three rounds a minute. Perryville, five and a half hours. Yeah, so you end up. So, yeah, you figure. With uh, the amount of wounded at Perryville, you had you actually had a better chance of getting off the beach on D-Day than you did walking off the battlefield Perryville. Yeah, wow. it, was, it was about 25 men a minute for five hours that were killed and wounded. 25 yeah. men a minute. Yeah, and, and Harold can, you know, because Harold's better detected. We've all done that. And we've seen. 100 pound lead ingots. The picking of, I've seen five gallon buckets full of mini balls laying. I don't think we fully understand the amount of the lead. Amount of lead that's well, flying the, cannons, in the, air. the cannons alone, I forget how many tons oh, yeah. of shells that were shot that day and burst, and uh, they were pointed at people. You know, they well, the, weren't just up in the air booming away like in the movies, they were pointed at people. And, yeah, the uh, millet. And, you know, we'll forever, you know, it, and I've told people this, we will forever uh, change our community, and it'll, it was, it'll never be the same as it was before this event happened. And oh, it no, will always that, yeah. be remembered as one of the, oh, yeah. you know, turning, it, it, turning points in the Western Theater and one of the bloodiest five hours of battle anywhere. You know, one of the... Uh, one of the most interesting artifacts that ever came in the door at Perryville was a lead, like Chad said, this lead ingot. And I was just astounded. I'm like, what is that? Well, you know, after the battle, yeah. they picked all these uh, mini balls up and they melted them into ingots and took them down to the stores and traded them. And this thing weighed well over 200 pounds, and apparently they were fairly common around this area for many years. You know, you could go out and pick up 200 pounds of mini balls out of your field, melt it down and make a lead ingot, yeah, take it to the it, store and it, trade it, it for something. It reminds us of the story, Joni, of 168 shells, uh, artillery shells found in one hole. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. And I, I don't know how they got there. There's different theories, but... You know, it, let's just say that if you owned a farm and there was shells laying all over it after the battle and that, that army had retreated, and what are you going to do with it? Well, you know, they're too dangerous. To, I mean, <laughs> so you're going to go throw them in a sinkhole like a lot of farmers did years ago. They didn't. Oh, I don't yeah. know what else you could do with them. But anyway, there was 168 found in one hole. I'll never forget that. I, remember the I guy don't that doubt found that one. a bit. Well, listen, guys, this has been great. Uh, first of all, I want to tell our listeners, uh, take, I, want to, I want to drag on you guys a little bit so uh, because it's, it's deserved. Uh, if you want to be a part of a group that has worked harder than any nonprofit group that I've ever been around, if you want to see history being preserved, if you want to learn about history, and if you want to learn about the Battle of Perryville, Join the Friends Group of Parable. This little episode tonight that we've talked about is one, just one example of what they've done. And they've put up miles of split rail fence. You, folks, I could go on for hours of what this group has done for this battlefield. It would not be the battlefield is today without the Friends of Parable. And Joni and Chad have been a part of that from day one. And if you guys want to make a donation to the Friends Group, Joni, what's your website that take it? Uh, it is. It's super easy. It's friendsofparable.org. Uh, friendsofparable.org. Parable.org. That's super simple. And, you know, there's Facebook. There's a website. Facebook. And actually, the Facebook, if you go onto our Facebook page, uh, 
it has a link right to the ledger, Harold. You can go yeah, right yeah. on that link, and then you can see everything on the website so, on that ledger. Everybody uh, so can absolutely. go see what we're talking about tonight immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's it, it's we we feel very strongly that this this is a treasure that belongs to all of all people, uh, and we're we're happy to give it to Kentucky. Uh, and bring it back home to Kentucky and share it with all of our, our Kentuckians and anyone who has interest in, in the battle here and, and the war in general, because it, it touched us all. So. Well, I think that y'all are a treasure, too. And I think that well, thank people, you. <laughs> I really do. Uh, well, thank and, you. And so I, so I know if these guys were alive today, they would be saying thank you for remembering us. Thank you. Joni and Chad, thank you all for being part of this episode. We really appreciate it. I think this was a really good episode. Really I've good. enjoyed it. Thank you all. All right, thanks, guys. Y'all have a good evening. All right, thank you. That's all for this episode of Uncommon History. We hope you enjoyed our journey through the past. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Keep up with our latest episodes, and all of our links are at the top of our episode description in our show notes. We'll see you next week. Uncommon History is created and produced by Harold Edwards and Brian Wolford.